My guest today on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast is the great Lucas Dirks from the Netherlands. He'll be talking to us about social psych, so, so, social panorama. I'm sorry, social panorama and mental space psychology, and how this all ties in with the world of NLP and hopefully coaching. We'll find out in just a minute. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Lucas Dirks, it's so nice to have you join us here on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Doug. So, uh, well, I'm excited already. <laughs> <laughs> and just to be clear, you are in the Netherlands, yes? Yeah, I'm in Nijmegen in the Netherlands. <coughs> is, is... Close to Germany. Okay, good. <coughs> well, we appreciate your taking the time to join us here. Um, so tell us a little bit about social panorama and mental space psychology. What what does this have to do with us and coaching and human beings and stuff? Uh, it's a concept yeah, yeah. That I'm familiar with because I've watched your videos, but I just want you to clear it up for those of you who haven't seen them yet. I understand. Yeah, so, well, I, I started to do NLP in 1977, so a long time ago, by reading it, and then I took a petitions course in uh, 83 because that was then starting and uh, I was a psychologist I'm a social psychologist and I loved it from the beginning and because I was a visual artist before I became a psychologist I had this idea that you should always do the newest and the, uh, you should be hip and an alternative in what you did and so for me NLP was the newest uh, the freshest thing in town uh, when it comes to uh, psychology and applied psychology. And so that's why I did it. And uh, I had the idea that you could make your own uh, so that you would be uh, yeah, invited. And it appeared like that to develop your own things in NLP. And I think that's also really the case because nobody's controlling it. Uh, that much so you can do your own thing without anybody looking over your shoulder where you're doing it right. Now, um, to me, I had this question because I studied social psychology. Uh, can I in some way uh, connect uh, NLP-like uh, ways of working and thinking with social psychological things? And I, I think this question started already in, in 19... 84, 1985, and then it took to 1994 until I wrote Social Panorama on the blackboard somewhere when I was teaching. And then I realized, yeah, I think I got it. And it was over uh, the submodalities of space. And so uh, then at the time, uh, submodality work was becoming very familiar. And I, I liked it a lot. And, and then I discovered the fact that um, relationships are created by putting on an unconscious level the images of the person where you have a relationship with somewhere in space and you stabilize that image on that location. So you walk around with that image on that particular location and by where you have put that person in your mind, that decides the type of relationships. And so closer is more intimate, in the centers, more central, more important. Higher up is more uh, has more status, and lower down is less status. And so there are general rules, but it's something that everybody needs to make up by itself. So it develops during the person's development, but it's also a sort of logical uh, structure for in most cases because um, yeah, people show up in a certain way in your life when you uh, grow up. And so you generalize from that and create your social image, imagery out of uh, this experience. Right. And right. So then I found that and I called it 
surgical drama because we had already the timeline. And I thought it's not a line. Uh, the timeline is also the future and the past in space. But uh, this is people in space. So I thought, yeah, it's more a panorama. And I yeah. call it a surgical panorama. That's very, very interesting. You know, it's, it's interesting as NLPers, um, I'm not sure that you consider yourself an NLPer, but I know you've studied yeah, it. I do. Okay. I do. Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> but but we often think about the like spatial locations of our images. So something I believe I might I might picture over here, something that I, I doubt to be true, I might picture over here. And if I take that same picture, the thing that I believe and move the picture over here, suddenly I'm not so sure about it anymore because it's it's where I picture things that I doubt. And as NLPers, we understand that that's a reality for people, although it's un rather unconscious for a lot of people. Sometimes when people are just starting off with that kind of concept, you say, well, where do you picture your father? And say, like, well, I, in my head, I picture him in, in my head. So, yeah, but if you did imagine him like in space, where where would he be if he was like in the room with you or whatever? So you, you sort of have to eke it out of people to, to get that social panorama. And yet... I believe um, from evidence and, and research that you've done, this has been a, around a lot longer than NLP. I mean, Virginia Satir used to do family sculptures and weren't there even like things you discovered in, in tribes in, in Africa uh, and the Kalahari Bushmen, that sort of thing? Well, you can think that, um, uh, well, you, you could say that most therapy that works uh, includes some type of trance or uh, hypnosis. And also that uh, therapy that works often includes spatial arrangements. Uh, so, and I think that in shamanistic traditions, they work with spaces. Uh, so, for instance, a, a space where you have your issue and then a space where everything is okay or where there's the powers that you need to change your issue. Or, and so I think in, that is uh, quite common when you start to look for it. And then the, the thing is that um, finding that people create this model of the world in a three-dimensional manner. Uh, so that, that was um, uh, very important in the development of mental space psychology. And in relation to neuro-linguistic programming, you could say that uh, we, are, we have the tendency to be focused on, on the neuro. Uh, many, many NLPers, they try to prove that uh, NLP is right and is uh, effective by uh, showing neurological research or the, the idea is that we would scan uh, a bunch of clients before treatment and then after and that we can see on the neuroimaging and that they have changed and so that would be ideal because that's the hardest proof and then there's a language a linguistic uh, thing and a lot of uh, people uh, work as if language is the main uh, thing for the mind. Mm. Now, and, and these two things are quite logical. And I think that was in the 70s to the place where we are, where. But so that we had neuro and linguistics. But then uh, when you look at NLPers, so when they ask the clients, okay, what? What do you want? What's your goal? And they may gesture with their hand to some location mm. in space. Yeah. And, and some came also so far that they realized that changes in location are a sign of uh, effect. Right. Now, and, and then it struck me that, um, that when you only start to look at that aspect, so of location, so the subfidelity location, you could say. And when you make that the major thing, like I made that in the search panorama, and that uh, your grips on the process of the client uh, uh, increase a lot, and that you have a sort of monitor uh, of what's happening in the person. Uh, and then by watching that for a while and experimenting with that, I thought, yeah, but that means, in fact, that NLP can be seen as a series of uh, psychological experiments. Have we do the same patterns again and again? I think this is the strength of NLP, that you have techniques that you uh, can repeat with uh, 
different issues and different people and you do the same steps and you see similar results so that's uh, quite a clear form of experimentation and we don't keep the scores uh, so otherwise we could publish more about that but we we do experiments in that way when you look at it that way look at it in that way and then for psychology that would mean that uh, space is uh, in, in fact the primary organizing principle of our thoughts as in your example when you when you are in doubt of something but consider the next example when you want to buy some appliance or a car or or you have to choose between two possible partners or uh, houses or whatever and then you are uh, juggling with them in your mind and then the one comes to the fore and then the other and then at a certain moment uh, it's okay now I see this computer and it's comes to a sort of stable position in front of me and then I know okay this will cost me now I have to buy it and so and then you have made your decision now from there comes to the idea that the, that the brain uh, is a sort of um, projector that projects everything that's going on in it uh, in the space in our body and around us. So how would you uh, how would you do this in, in effect with a person who, for instance, um, has difficulty getting over their ex in a relationship, and maybe they're in a relationship with someone now, and um, but there's seems like their their ex is somebody they just can't get rid of or something. How would you use this for that? Yeah, well, then we use or I use the same principles as in NLP are because I think these are very solid. Uh, so and I think yeah, when you cannot get rid of your ex, uh, so for instance, we have the in the search panorama, the idea of the intimate circle, so arm length, and it's uh, um, seems to be a sort of a law of nature, but it's a it's a law of the psyche. And that when when you have your partner inside that uh, circle, but you have your ex even closer in that circle, uh, so that is a problem because then you will feel more uh, with your ex, and maybe uh, it can be positive or negative. It can be that you have still hopes for intimate uh, uh, relationship with your ex, right. or that you have uh, negative feelings with your ex, uh, that, that you fear your ex or so, but. Um, but then the idea is, and then the, the, the social drama in that uh, instance is your monitor, and you know, yeah, this X is too close. Uh, this X needs to go to another location. Right. Now, there might be a positive intention in the client to keep the X there. Maybe they have still hopes that it will uh, become a good relation, or they think, yeah, I only let this X go out of my intimate circle when I'm sure of uh, the lovemaking of my new partner, <laughs> and so it's up to the standard or so, or, or earnings or whatever. And so th there could be many things behind that, and we need to look at that too. Uh, often the first answer will be, okay, what does your ex need as a resource to move out? And because we, we found that, uh, and, and of course you can uh, see that in, um, Reimprinting, where Robert Dills used this sending of of resources to others uh, as a very potent uh, way of changing uh, situations yeah. and people, and this came into the social panorama as a major tool, and uh, so that it be it became very practical because people, uh, when they are bothered by somebody, and you ask them what does this pe person needs to learn to be able to not bother you anymore or to move out, they are motivated because they rather look at others than at themselves. And of course, we know this other is a part of yourself. So it doesn't make any difference whether you look at the other as a part of you or whether you look at yourself as somebody who needs resources. So that would be the practical uh, yeah. procedures. Well, that's great because, you know, I saw a video of you doing this exercise with a class where you talked about that that social circle 
Right. And it's about arm's length. So you would put tape on the floor to indicate, you know, where in space I represent these images. You know, my 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 partner might be very close to me in my spatial representation that I, I create. Not that she is actually here, but yeah. she is, you know, my representation of her, I think of her as here. Yeah. And, and then you have people in the um, room have a representation of their ex on a piece of paper. And you yeah, have right, to go right. and, and tape that into various locations. And some people, you know, they had to like go outside the circle of chairs. They had to go like way out to the end of the room kind of thing to put the tape down. And some, I think somebody had one on the ceiling or something. Yeah. But other people had them quite close in. Yeah. Had their ex like almost as closer, closer than their current relationship. And that, that obviously could be an issue with right. how you relate to the current person. Yeah, so I do that. That exercise is what I make most of the time uh, start off with in a Sage Panorama uh, workshop. And most people have already the intuitions to understand these pictures. And so when they when they see that, and they know, okay, yes, that's why I have this issue with my ex because my ex is so close, mm. or that's why my partner has so many issues with my ex and is still complaining that I see my ex. And as is getting annoyed when I have seen or, or phone to my ex, because another person may sense that that there's this importance still for the ex, and uh, and that is a little bit a, a danger for the for the actual relationship maybe. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And and of course, a lot of these exes are not somebody that you'd be calling anymore. It'd be somebody from your you know past that you maybe dead. Might be dead, right? Yeah. And still, the representation of you that you have of them is quite close. So yeah. when you when you saying before about you know the the, the reimprinting method of Robert Diltz that you give a resource to that person so that they can can move out, yeah. uh, that they have the resources to you know move out further beyond their own or whatever. It's not like you're giving it to an actual person. You're not giving a person anything. You're giving this representation from yourself to that person so that they have more resources so they can do what's necessary to to move further out from the right. circle. And, and, and so that's what we know but the client doesn't need to make the distinction between representation and real person mm. in some instances this is critical for instance when they uh, need to send the resource and they don't want it because it's an asshole and they don't uh, want to give them anything and right. so then we need to say, yeah, but this is a part of you. And so you're just giving it from you to you. And so, okay, okay, okay. And so right. then they may be able to do it. That's very, very, that's a very interesting distinction. Because that sounds kind of like what, what Carl Jung would always talk about, that even when you're in, in dreams, that the, the person in your dream is not actually that other person. It's a, it's a representation of an aspect of yourself that you represent in the dream as your father or your mother or the ex or the monster or uh, you know whatever yeah right yeah so yeah so i think that when you when you look uh, to psychoanalysis and the social panorama uh, you find interesting links and uh yeah i i became so arrogant that i didn't say yeah well they were not wrong about everything and so <laughs> because we have the same Phenomena in the social panorama that uh, are addressed in uh, psychoanalysis sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So tell us, there was a story that you told. I'm trying to remember exactly how it went, but there was a, a woman that went to a shaman, I believe, in in Kalahari, yeah. and they said, you know, maybe yes. you can when you South get, Africa. Yeah. <laughs> get the grandmother out of your shoulder or something. Right. Or? Yeah. yeah. Well, you... this, 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 uh, uh, connects to what you just uh, what we just uh, said about when you have your ex uh, inside yourself, for instance, then it's often not possible to have a new relationship because the the new partner will sense something is wrong with you because you're more they feel that there's more loyalties to somebody else. And it's in the same way when you when you have a priest who uh, is devoted to uh, the Virgin Mary, and so they they need to let that go a little bit further uh, when they want to marry somebody or, or have a have a, a partner, because when they have 
the Virgin Mary here, and then their partner's over there. And so the partner, yeah, is second best. Yeah. And so they will not, not uh, feel what they want to feel in a relationship. And so this uh, may happen too. Now, in this instance of this uh, 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 friend of mine, she, um, she was at the shaman and the shaman uh, asked her, tell me something about your life. And she told something about her life. And then uh, in telling about her life, she told about, uh, yeah, well, uh, my, uh, uh, my parents didn't like me, but I had my grandmother. And so my grandmother was always nice to me. And yeah, my grandmother, uh, I, only thanks to my grandmother. And so I, and then, um, and then the shaman asked her for, uh, how are your relationships? And, um, and I think the shaman had these two questions because then people could talk a long time and uh, they could charge him uh, the tourists uh, <laughs> after that. But then she thought, yeah, in my relationship is strange because they only last two and a half years and then, and then they are over. And then the shaman uh, said to her, yes, that will change when you take your grandmother out of your shoulder. And so, and, and so the shaman in South Africa must have some idea, and, and we don't know how explicit this idea is, but maybe it is, uh, so that the shaman was trained in, you could say, the social panorama in some form mm -hmm. or the other, and understood that when you have somebody so close, uh, to you in your body or partly in your body, that's pretty difficult for a partner because they will sense that there is something else more important to you than they are. That makes total sense to me. So that's really very interesting. So he was really able to see, as you were demonstrating, the woman was was moving her shoulders in a certain way. So he was able to see those, you know, other than conscious communications, the, uh, the body language it was indicating that there was something going on there when she talked in that way. So he was able to see it, that it was happening during the discussion or mention of the grandmother that she would do that. Yeah. Where he saw yeah. that in the shoulder. Yeah. And so this is what, uh, what we uh, used in the development of mental space psychology. Mm -hmm. And so where we came to the conclusion now everything is in space. And especially you can make a distinction between uh, the things that are quick and go away very fast. So when I talk to you, you will have images during that, but they are not permanent on one spot. And so mm. they're more fluid. And, and this is uh, all already in the 90s uh, by Gilles Fauquinier, a linguist. He already named that mental space uh, so that, that we are do our thinking in mental space when we listen or produce language. But then the other thing, which is in fact for therapists more important, is the more permanent objects that we have placed somewhere and we don't know that we did it. Maybe we did it uh, also in the right hemisphere so that we are not so aware of it. Uh, but, um, but these are often uh, very damaging. Uh, so you can think of depression and trauma and then personifications of people who are on the wrong spot in your mental space. Mm -hmm. and, and how does this also do with family structures? So you, we mentioned Virginia Satir and how she would make models really sort of create um, spatial models of the family structure. Yeah, yeah I think absolutely. So she, um, it's also that, uh, um, well, Hellinger, I don't know whether you heard about him, Bert Hellinger, yeah, yeah. Uh, the family constellation. He okay. took that largely from Virginia Satir, and, but he also was a missionary in South Africa. So maybe he had also contact to shamans hmm. who did rituals with family members and uh, the ancestors in space. And, and that uh, led to the conclusion on my side that people walk around with yeah, family landscape and, and they're not so aware of that. So it's something that just happened. But how else would you have a relationship with your mother when you have a, a stable relationship with your mother when you don't have your mother in your mind stabilized somewhere? And mm -hmm. so you have a stable concept.
and and when it's not stable, when you have two mothers or or it's uh, then then you suffer from that because you have difficulty to approach her or to ask her something because you're not sure. And and I think this is the 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 thing that uh, mental space psychology adds to uh, coaching and and therapy and NLP. Uh, so that you become more aware of how people structure not only the timeline, uh, but also uh, social things, but also, for instance, uh, food or so. Uh, so a colleague of mine, uh, Jacqueline uh, Heemskerk, uh, she studies uh, the problems, uh, well, binge eating problems, for instance, and, and she found quite clear um, a uh, special part to that, that uh, people who suffer from binge eating tend to have the chocolates over here as a, in hands reach and then not only one or two or three chocolates, but a heap, uh, <laughs> a mountain of chocolate. Uh, so that, and when you imagine that to be in your awareness, even when it's below the threshold of consciousness, but, but when it's there for you uh, and, and somebody uh, Makes you feel a little bit unhappy, and then you go, <laughs> and so so you 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 start to binge uh, on that, or and um, and then by moving this mountain of chocolate away and reducing it in size, uh, the binge eating is gone. But sometimes there is of course something in between, and it's it's not there for nothing. Uh, so the last client that I worked with was in the demonstration. With this and and then I said, okay, now you. I don't know whether it was just sweets, and now move the sweets further away, and then she immediately sensed uh, sadness. That brought her to I think when she was four years old, when her mother was hospitalized some days and she was left alone. And so and then everything that appeared a little bit like loneliness. Now closer to binge mm. on sweets, mm. and so then fully logical in our our model of the world as it appears. Oh yes, we understand that. Right, makes sense. So how do you keep these changes permanent? Like if you move that mound of chocolate over here or move it way out there or whatever, how how do you keep it from coming back to? Yeah, uh, I think there we use the same uh, rules as. In general, in NLP, I so I think that you want to be it, it to be ecological. So there need to be no other gains to getting it back. Uh, and often, when the person understands that they do it like this lady, because of having this experience with uh, her mother leaving her alone and feeling uh, feeling uh, left alone. Uh, that, that she could find an alternative for that, maybe without us helping her for that, uh, because uh, when you see that this is the issue, it may be enough for some people's creativity to, aha, uh -huh. so when I feel alone, I need to uh, uh, do something else or phone my friend, or, uh, or when I have no friend, then we may guide them to relationships, uh, so that can be, Part of the answer that we help a person who who has difficulty uh, with cause of shyness or well being hurt uh, in another manner, difficulty to approach people on that area. And so that could be. <laughs> my, my my concept of you is fading away somehow. I don't know. Yeah. So I. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I <laughs> That was funny. <laughs> um, yes, I, I have a camera on wheels uh, <laughs> in my online studio, but uh, but my uh, floor is not fully flat, <laughs> and it's uh, wheels from a uh, from uh, roller skates, so they're very good. Too good. <laughs> <laughs> People who are only listening to this podcast won't know what we are talking about, but. Uh... Okay. Just the images started getting smaller and smaller as the camera yeah. rolled away. Glad, yeah. glad you're back. So it is an interesting thing, though, speaking about 
you know, basically that is what we're talking about. You know, thank you very much, camera, for little demonstration there is that, you know, you change the pictures and, and things change. If you had that mound of chocolates far away and if also if you represented it differently, you know, as changing it to from color to black and white, um, you know, and, and maybe a fuzzy black and white picture that gets smaller and smaller as it goes further and further away, it's far less compelling. Yeah. But but if you have that mounted chakras really close to you and you can, you know, reach out and grab them, you know, then it's, you know, it's it's much more interesting, especially if it's in color and, and you know, maybe it's got sounds to it. Maybe they're talking to you. You know, there's lots, lots of things about chakras. Yeah, eat, so, me, uh, eat me, eat me. Yeah, it, it's good that you named it because for NLP, uh, the relation to mental space psychology is such that, in fact, um, you could say that Bentler had this idea of subtleties being personal for each and every one. Mm. And so that's why we make this list. What are the subtleties of this uh, problem experience? And what are the subtleties of the successful? And then we compare and then we change the subtleties. Um, but then by uh, overlooking what happened with the social panorama, uh, my conclusion was that space is the most important uh, submodality. And so when you start to limit yourself to that, uh, you get, uh, you can leave out a lot. Mm. And so it doesn't mean that color and, and size and, uh, and other things are not uh, important to the experience, but, but when you just uh, focus on space, it's often enough. Uh, like for instance, the, the, uh, the, my colleague, she uh, modeled ladies that were slender and she asked them the same thing where is your favorite food and then she found oh these ladies have the favorite food at three meters distance and when they talk about an ice cream they say, yeah i like ice cream i may eat a little one uh and uh every summer and so and uh, where is that little a little one located yeah there it's nice and so they but that's totally different than from uh Oh, yeah, a portion uh, of uh, 300 kilos who uh, eats uh, three kilos of ice cream every day. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. I, when, when COVID started and we moved up here, I, I did eat a lot more ice cream. So, yeah. <laughs> and I did, I don't know if I approached 300 kilos exactly, but I got closer to it. <laughs> certainly got closer. But yeah, uh, it's like... <laughs> so, um, Lucas, so what else do we need to know about um, mental space psychology for practical applications if we are a coach, if, if people are using coaching as a business? Yes, yeah, so by focusing on space, uh, new phenomena show up. Uh, so, for instance, uh, in, in the new, the recently uh, produced book, uh, it was uh, Richard uh, Gray, and so uh, NLP for in clinical uh, uh, situations or, or uh, applications uh, in, clin in a clinical context. Mm -hmm. uh, we wrote an article about uh, depression, and um, and so I found that uh, when people speak about depression. They're not uh, tend to say, yeah, a depression that's light and sunny and colorful. No, they speak about it as dark and black and gray. Uh, and that's, that's uh, something that you would take as a metaphor. I say, okay, the blackness in the, in the depression is a metaphor. But then by taking that literal, it became then logical to ask, where is the blackness in your mental space when you are depressed. Mm. So go to the feeling of depression. Where is the blackness located? Now with, with zero difficulty, uh, I found that uh, depressed people could point it out exactly. And so here or there, it's precisely here or it's there. And, um, mm. and then uh, also we found that when the black uh, cloud is gone because of the therapy we did with that then the depression is gone and so which showed that that uh, this phenomenon of darkness 
in mental space, yeah, needs to be taken serious and can be used as a monitor for something like depression. And <coughs> it led to to the conclusion that there's uh, all kinds of depressions. Uh, so you can be depressed because your house burned down, or you were um, fired, or you lost your uh, view of the future, uh, so or you lost a loved one. But there's many people don't know why they are depressed, and so and this is this became our focus because the people who don't know why they are depressed but just are depressed tend to have these clouds of darkness in their mental space. And the logical conclusion uh, for me as a psychologist was that um, it's a result of repression. Uh, so we get back to Sigmund Freud <laughs> and that repression and, and there were more uh, people and later also uh, uh, other psychologists who, who could say uh, a repression is a genuine phenomenon in psychology and we need to really serious look at it and and so when i start to look at depression and the, the dark clouds as a signal of having repressed something i could use that as a as you could say as an entrance to what was repressed and so there uh, then it became very simple and i think this is something most NLPers, uh, master practitioners can do. Uh, I, I think they can do it easily, but in the practice of our research, not all could do it that easily, but um, but then you just start to attack uh, with uh, uh, submodality changes the dark cloud uh, by suggesting the sun comes up, shines on the dark cloud, and then move the dark cloud in the center of attention because that's the area where these dark clouds tend not to appear. And so they're, they're the center of attention tends to be free of uh, darkness. <clears throat> and then when you bring it there, there's more control and they become transparent and uh, the person may be able to uh, see where you ask them, and what's behind this dark cloud? Mm -hmm. And what did you give up? Or what did, did you want to think about anymore? Or what was something that you thought that will never happen, or, or this is an important value that I never can, I, whatever important thing uh, was behind this uh, blackness, and then they tell you. And uh, <clears throat> quite often this goes back to early childhood, and so it's also remarkable. And then, uh, then the thing that uh, we started to uh, advise to therapists is to uh, do the new behavior generator to find the resource that the child needed at the time not to change the situation but to deal with it and so for instance when um, when the when the child uh, discovered that uh, they never could become the, the queen or or be successful in life because of having uh, some issue or whatever and so then it is about what resource what capability would you have needed at that time to not repress it but to deal with it and which is quite logical mm -hmm. and then sometimes you need to find these resources with uh, spiritual entities or uh, supernatural examples to do the a uh, new behavior generator with. So I ask, is there any imaginal, uh, imaginative uh, figure or uh, spiritual entity, an angel or Jesus Christ himself? Or so who you think can do this, can deal with this? And then we use that as the model and then they get the resource and then first have the resource on themselves and then bring the resource to their younger self in early childhood and then become the younger child uh, and then um, grow up anew with the resource mm -hmm. and go then and then they know that they don't need to repress it and then we can just check in here now okay get back to your feeling of depression yes where are the black clouds gone mm -hmm. or not fully gone then there's still some work to do
That's a great process. Thank you very much. So um, I love, by the way, that idea of moving the um, cloud into the center of the space because you, you're right. We never really have it there. You know, we can't see if it's there. We have to ground it. So we put it off to the side. So it's always sort of there, but it's off to the side. But if you bring it into the center and then the idea of, of imagine that the sun is coming up behind you. And so suddenly the sun shines on this cloud and you can see it very differently than you would normally. And you can see, you know, its edges and what's behind it. And maybe it starts to just fade in the morning sun right. anyway. I think that's a great imagery and metaphor. Yeah, so that became the standard procedure uh, for during our research, so we we try to, uh, and this was one of the things that makes me made me five years older or maybe more, and uh, so to try to to complete a real uh, quantitative uh, a piece of research in in the effectiveness of this method, right. uh, so we could prove it, but it was uh, a nightmare to, especially to uh, go through the bureaucracy. Of academia to to make it accepted, uh, even to be able to do it, uh, so to be allowed to experiment with people. Yeah, so that is um, brings me back to that book that you mentioned that has been published with Richard Gray and others. Um, it's it's NLP basically for clinicians. Is that correct? Well, it's it's uh, meant to be, and there was already one book like that uh, uh, published by Rutledge. Uh, Rutledge. And it's uh, the main motor is uh, Lisa de Reich behind it, and, and Frank Burke and uh, and also Richard Gray to make that work and get it published. Uh, and and it's to have an academic publication about evidence-based backgrounds of NLP. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so and and I I see it as when you are a clinician or when you work with NLP. And there is somebody in your office and they ask him, yeah, but is there any proof? Is there any evidence-based evidence for that NLP works? You say, not that much. And you have that book and you put it on your, <laughs> yeah, it's not that much. You can look at it. And so, and, uh, and, and, and so there is something. <laughs> just, it doesn't have to have any printing inside of it, just a big book. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it, it's really seriously written, and we try. Oh, I know it. I know it. And you know the re no, you're also a member of the research and recognition project. Yeah, I worked with uh, with Frank Bork and um, and Richard Gray in the research and recognition project, where we again were attempting to show in clinical trials that this you know NLP thing really actually works. We know it does, but we wanted to be able to show it to people right. with the kind of testing and you know really quite strict and stringent testing done with all the appropriate, you know, um, safeguards and, you know, working with PhDs, et cetera, to make sure that everything was, all the T's were crossed and I's were dotted and everything was done properly. And it was uh, very exciting to be working with veterans using the, um, what we called in this process, the rewind technique, what NLPers know as the fast phobia cure. Um, but it worked. It worked remarkably well with people, and to have it actually documented is amazing. So, um, so this book once once again is by Rutledge Press. And how how could we? Yeah, so, well, I can fetch it if if you like. So, no, I'll tell you what, we'll we'll put it in the. Um, yeah, it's, I think the title is uh, Neuro Linguistic Programming in Clinical Settings. Okay. Great. So yeah, and I know that it is a quite expensive book. I don't own it, but um, yeah, that's, that's true. But it's but, but for being able to put it on the table, <laughs> worthwhile, <laughs> priceless. <laughs> yeah, because the whole discussion stops. There's <laughs> <laughs> not much. It's just this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not such a good book, but it's it's a solid book. And so uh, yeah, <laughs> we can carve it out and put some lead weights in it so it makes a bigger impact when it hits the table. <laughs> this is heavy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's great that uh, that uh, uh, Lisa took the initiative and, and she worked super hard and Richard too to edit it and, and it's uh, 
Yeah, we know it's too expensive for most NLPers, but when you are serious about uh, NLP, uh, you should have it in your cupboard. Uh, so there's uh, maybe two copies, uh, one to borrow to the skeptics. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But it's uh, it doesn't help that much, of course, because uh, the <laughs> preconceptions uh, in the clinical psychology uh, world are so strong. And uh, so that it will take some years before. Uh, but that's also when I when I get back to mental space psychology, uh, we, I thought when it's about a, a theory that fits to, you could say, modern psychology and the type of uh, imaginative work that we do, mm -hmm. uh, so it could be more this because this is the forefront of psychology. So. Uh, yeah, and it's funny because you know, as as many NLPers have had this experience that uh, every now and again something will come out, the newest, latest thing from psychology, and be like, "Wait a minute, that's the," you know, we can name it as an NLP process or something, right. some modalities, as an example, that suddenly is is breaking news on yeah. the psychological front. It's like we've been doing that for twenty years, yeah, or thirty or forty, yeah, yeah. Um, and towards that end, this new behavior generator idea, just for the folks who are unfamiliar with that particular NLP process, a lot of times people will say, well, I can't do that because I, I've never done it. I don't know how I can't do that. So you say, well, do you know somebody who could? And it might be somebody like, you know, a friend or a, a family member or somebody that, you know, intimately a real person. But it could also be like an imaginary person, like, you know, well, Wonder Woman could do that you know, or, or, you know. Spider-Man. So like, okay, well, if Spider-Man were here, if Wonder Woman were here, how would she be doing this? What resource does she have? Let's bring it out and then suddenly stand like the way Wonder Woman would stand. And suddenly you get the Wonder Woman resource and you can actually bring that up and give it to this younger you and start doing this thing that you couldn't do, but now you can do as, you know, the 10-year-old the self back there in your timeline. And then you bring that person forward through the timeline with a resource and, and everything seems to change. And now they can do that. Yeah. And, and the cloud, my gosh, the cloud is just gone now. Yeah, so and I think this is a often underrated uh, piece of NLP because um, uh, it works so well, uh, the new behavior generator, and it helped me out so many times when, when the client uh, no, I have no idea. No, I never had the experience that I can do that. So no, no, I don't know. And so and then, ah, you have your secret <laughs> weapon, <laughs> you have your generator. And then, uh, and then you ask, do you know somebody who can do that? No, I don't think I, anybody can do it. Okay, can you imagine someone? I don't think I can imagine. Okay, now, well, would there be possible uh, in any movie or in any and so and you just uh, keep on uh, having them uh, searching for somebody I make up somebody and uh, so my favorite way is when they are very uh, stubborn so who's your favorite actor now they will have one maybe I have no favorite actor okay what's not what is an actor? <laughs> so you, you often need to negotiate on that level with your client. But then they have an actor and then say, yeah, this actor uh, uh, will play in a movie. And in this movie, he plays the role of a person who can do this. And maybe in a magical way, but it's written there, he can do this. So now watch him in this scene. And mm -hmm. so and, uh, and then, uh, you know about it. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it, it is amazing. And there's also the old act as if thing too. Well, if you could do it, what would you be doing? How would you be standing? You know, and that that can get to those resources as well. Very very nice. Well, Lucas Dirks, I I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I don't want to take too much more of your time. Thank you very much for for being here. If people wanted to find you, where would be the best place to uh, find you? Um, on? Yes. So I I have some. Contact oh. information here. <laughs> That's great. Let me just make that big. And uh, yeah, cool. So www.somsp, 
Com yeah. and social panorama at netnet.nl. Yeah, that's my personal email. And if you want to find your videos that I've been watching on YouTube, it's Mr. Yeah. Monty Cinto. Cinto. Right. M R M O N T E C I N T O. What is the uh, origin of Mr. Monty Cinto? Yeah, so I. I love to go on holiday on Corsica, and the Corsica, the highest peak on Corsica is the Monte Cinto, so the holy mountain in effect. Uh, but, uh, but then I, my first movie that I, I created when I started to uh, create movies uh, was um, about Corsica, about a holiday on Corsica, and so then I, at the end, I needed in the title. Yeah, the, the the company, so the, the the producer, and then I thought, yeah, I can do uh, cinema Montecito. Now then later, I I wanted to use that on YouTube, but they declined that, and uh, they had Mr. Montecito as an alternative, and then I took that because I didn't care at that moment. But uh, I would have rather taken uh, Mr. Mental Space or Mental Space Psychology or. Uh, cinema mental space or something but probably that would be very difficult because space is um, already taken from mm. many people okay so, so it doesn't mean that much <laughs> All right. well the mystery is cleared up thank you so much for being here thank you Doug. yeah it was uh, wonderful to talk to you and um, by by you uh, summarizing my answers and adding i think that became much clearer to me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad I could help. <laughs> okay. We'll see you again. I hope real soon. Thank you. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us, each and every one of us, at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Yes. I'm not sure if, how to stop this thing. If I, um, if I, if I, if I knock us off. Yeah. So I can maybe put myself out or...